This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, this is Caroline Heron, and you're listening to TV Confidential. I'd like a uh, plain omelet. Uh, no potatoes, tomatoes instead, a cup of coffee, and toast. No substitution. What do you mean? You don't have any tomatoes? Only Ed Roberts and author guest Christopher Fryer. Chris is the co-author, along with Robert Crane, of Jack Nicholson, The Early Years, and Bruce Dern, A Memoir. We'll ask Chris about Jack Nicholson in just a second. In the meantime, Chris's short story, Hunting License, appears in Beyond... Where the Buses Run, Beyond Where the Buses Run, a collection of short stories about the human condition and what often happens in those moments when life suddenly turns on a dime. Beyond Where the Buses Run, available in paperback and as an ebook through Oregon, Greystone Press, and Amazon.com. This is probably more about me as a reader and not necessarily what you had in mind when you wrote Hunting License, however long ago you did, but there are elements of Rod Serling that come across in hunting license not just the imagery it's very cinematic if you put the reader right there but because you explore human behavior and there's a little surprise at, at the end it's it's very much along the lines of what you might see if you were uh, watching a twilight zone or a night gallery well it's really funny that you mentioned that and and i had never thought about that before but as a kid I was a huge Rod Serling fan, mm-hmm. and I was—I loved Twilight Zone um, and um, Night Gallery when he did it, and I used to get books by him. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's—it's curious that you say that, but I, I'd never thought of it that way. But um, it just goes to show you that you have. Uh, you know, subconscious influences at work all the time. We mentioned Jack Nicholson, The Early Years, which was the first book that you and Bob Crane worked on. The story of how this book came together and how you managed to get access to Nicholson in the first place, that probably would not happen if you were to try to do the same thing today. No way. I can say that categorically. (laughs) It would never happen because there are so many ways that people can avoid you now. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the early 70s, you know, it was just so much easier. And the way the story came about, for your listeners, I was in a film class at USC called the Film Heroes of the 30s and 60s. And Bob ultimately transferred into that class, and we ended up doing the project together. But as my thesis for that class, and it was taught by a guy named Stephen Karp, Mm -hmm. who um, was a screenwriter, and the name of the, he had one big hit with Michael Douglas, and maybe you can remember, but I don't remember the name of the film. But anyway, so he was kind of a, you know, a celebrity on campus, because he had a film out, and he, you know, it did really well. And um, I went up to him and I said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do a thesis about a hero of film. I want to do an anti-hero. Now, Nicholson had done, you know, Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces had just come out. And I said, I want to, I'm going to write about this guy, Jack Nicholson. And he said, 
oh, okay, that would be great. And I said, yeah, because I want to talk about the anti-hero role in cinema. And, um, and I said, and I'm going to interview him as part of the paper. And Nicholson, you know, even in those days was notoriously uh, publicity averse. Mm -hmm. And Carp um, said to me, you're going to interview him? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, to me, I didn't see any problem with that. I just figured I'd call Jack Nicholson up on the phone and, and it would happen. You're 20 years and old. So, you're, tw you're 20 years old. They're, 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 obstacles are not part of your vocabulary. No, no, I, 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 I never thought uh, I, that would be a stumbling block at all. Yeah. And so, you know, Bob came into the class and I said, I'm doing this. Maybe we can work on it together. And the professor said, yeah, fine, go ahead. And um, off we went. And so it was just a matter of getting the right connection, which we luckily did. And um, my sister-in-law, uh, her dad, John Strauss, was a, a very well-known publicist in Hollywood. Um, and, and I think it was McFadden, Strauss, and Irwin was mm -hmm. the name of his his company, and they were one of the, like, the big three uh, PR firms in Hollywood. And I called John, and I said, John, do you have any kind of a contact for Jack Nicholson? And he said, I don't know, let me look. So he flips through his Rolodex, um, which don't exist anymore, mm -hmm. but he flips through his Rolodex, and he pulls out one of the little cards, and he says, I've got this number. I don't know what it is. Um, I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. I don't know if this is his agent, his manager. Go ahead give it a call. So I took the number and I go over to Bob's house and uh, I give him the number and I said, well, you call it. Okay. And, and so he says, all right. So he dials the number and Jack Nicholson picks up the phone at the other end. <laughs> and, and you know, it's Jack Nicholson just from hello. <laughs> and, um, you know, so Bob says, you know, I'd like to speak to Jack Nicholson, please. Uh, which is kind of weird when you know you're talking to him. Exactly. Yeah, who's calling? So Bob just launches into the spiel, tells him we're a couple of college kids and we're doing this paper and we'd like to interview him. And that's that's how it happened. Now that I don't think that's possible today. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't I don't know that you could do that. Well, as as you say, the world is a lot different than it was in 1972. And as you say, there are a lot more guardians at the gate, both real and virtual, that make that sort of unfettered access nigh impossible. Yeah, and speaking of gates, in those days, you know, we'll fast forward to when Jack finally has time for us to come up and he says, come on up to the house, and he tells us the address, and we drive up onto Mulholland Drive, and we're, we're going along, and we there's like a little dirt road, and you pull off the dirt road, and no gate, nothing, and you go by Marlon Brando's house on the left, and then you drive down the hill, and there's Jack Nicholson's house. But I guarantee you, if you drove that route today, and he still lives in the same house, mm -hmm. I think, although he has probably many others, but uh, <laughs> it, it, I bet you there are big gates there at the front. <laughs> the movie you were thinking of was Adam at 6 a.m. That's right. Exactly right. Thank which, you very much. Yeah, which uh, Steve Steve McQueen starred in, and I think he also directed, either produced it or directed it. And yeah. and Steve McQueen is one of the many figures who come to life in. I don't remember whether it came up in your conversations with Nicholson. I think it came up in your conversation with Dern. 
in um but but he's, he's one of the characters who comes to life in jack nicholson the early years one of the several books that christopher fryer co-authored which is available amazon.com stay with us folks we'll be right back ah mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. One more item if you're a fan of Elton John someone who is and are looking for a gift idea this holiday season our friends at Quarto books have just released elton john at 75 elton john at 75 a gorgeous collection of elton john's life and art told through the lens of 75 key releases and accomplishments including curated selection of elton john's expertly crafted singles written by rock critic Gilbert Garr, Elton John at 75, takes a deep dive into the moments and connections that have defined Elton John's career. The book also includes live concert and candid offstage photography and memorabilia right up to this year's epic Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. Elton John at 75, Elton John at 75, available now wherever books are sold through our friends at Quarto Books and QuartoKnows.com. Hi, this is Robert Hooks, and you are listening to TV Confidential, and keep doing it. We mentioned this before we started recording. I read the book in preparation of our conversation today, Chris, and bearing in mind that the, the two times you and Bob talked to Jack was in the early 70s. So, I mean, he, his star was on the rise but several things that would happen for him hadn't happened yet. So I thought it was, it was, it was interesting. I made note, note of a couple of things that might be kind of fun just to kind of you know, throw them out there. So, yeah, um, and just to show you how he wasn't, in, in quotes, Jack Nicholson yet. Yeah. When Bob and I were sitting with him in his living room, this is in 1972, and he says, um, you know, we've been talking for several hours and, and taping our interview with him and asking him questions and at one point he says listen i gotta make a phone call just give me a minute and he goes over to the phone and he dials he's calling howard koch jr <laughs> who is producing the oscar telecast that year mm -hmm. and you know i don't know if he was doing it for our benefit in front of us you know he didn't go to another room but he he dials the phone and he the person obviously picks up and he goes, Howard, Jack. And there's a pause. Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, it, it, we, Bob and I gave each other a look, you know. Uh, and yet, and yet, in that year's telecast, um, Jack ended up doing uh, presenting the Best Picture Award. Yeah. And we said. So he calls the guy, and he doesn't even really know who he is, and yet he ends up presenting Best Picture. How does that happen? <laughs> and, and I just read something recently that a lot of people, for that particular telecast, there were a lot of people, who stars, who turned down um, giving out the Best Picture. 
Picture Award because they were worried that Clockwork Orange was going to win. And no one wanted to be affiliated with Clockwork Orange because it was such a controversial film. And Nicholson, of course, said, yeah, I'll do it. You know, Wait. I don't know if that's an apocryphal story, but I thought it was interesting because Clockwork is one of my favorite films. You set up one of the things I was going to ask you. In one of the two conversations you and Bob had uh, with Nicholson in 70, you know, 71, 72, he mentions an unproduced film project that he and Stanley Kubrick, who yeah. directed you know, Clockwork Orange, obviously, were going to work on, never materialized for one reason or another. You know, never Napoleon. Say again? Oh, oh, oh so it was a movie on Napoleon. That's it. Yeah, Jack was going to play Napoleon. Right. And that's right. Cause you, and you mentioned he's got books on Napoleon in the background of his, of his library or, or the room where you guys are talking to him in. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, 10 years later, or however many years later it was, he and Kubrick team up for The Shining, which is one of the iconic Jack Nicholson performances. Right. And, and pretty much the beginning of the end, in my, in my humble opinion, the beginning of the end of his real acting yeah. for me. For me, once he plays Jack Torrance in The Shining, he never really uh, he never really dissolves into a character again. He's always playing Jack, and and he finishes that off. There are a few exceptions, but he finishes that off with the Joker. Yeah. And once he plays the Joker in Batman, as far as I was concerned, I could never really watch him again. Without without seeing all the mechanics going on behind the work. With well, with that in mind, it's really it's it. If you haven't read, if you're a fan of Jack Nicholson and you haven't read Jack Nicholson the early years, it's really worth picking up a copy of it, folks. Because not only does Nicholson discuss some of his most iconic early performances, you know, the stuff he did in the '60s and the '70s before he quote unquote became Jack Nicholson, but um, he talks a lot about how he likes the body of characters that he creates throughout from film to film and the thought process he makes in making them singular characters, you know, that stand out on their own versus being another an extension of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and um, I, just, I just read a quote from him uh, that recently where he said that when he's got his sunglasses on, which became an affectation sort of in that after the 1980s you know you never you never saw him without his sunglasses yeah. even indoors and at night and i know they're prescription but still you can get prescription glasses that aren't sunglasses but he said when he's got his sunglasses on he's jack nicholson <laughs> and and when he doesn't have his sunglasses on he's just a fat 70 year old guy <laughs> one last question then i'll let you go uh you got him to talk a lot about Drive, he said, which was the first film he directed, yeah. which he considered an artistic success, even though it was not a commercial or a critical success. And you got him to reveal several things, not only about you know his thoughts on the film business, but in so doing, he reveals a little bit of who he is as a person, which you don't always see today because the Jack Nicholson persona is so entrenched in all of our brains. But 
One, one of the things he, he said, and again, this is early 70s, and even though the experience was quote-unquote bad because the film was not received well, his experience as a director he thought was positive, and, 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 and he said, I would like to direct again, and I would like to direct myself, which he didn't do in Drive, he said. He ended up doing that twice within a decade of, of well, yeah, within a decade of when you talked to him. Yeah, I I don't think he's as successful a director. Um, you'll have to remind me. I know he did the two Jakes. That was his first film to direct, where he directed himself. I can't think of what the he other did, one was. He did Going South in the. Oh right, Going South. Right, right, Going South. Yeah. Um, which was, I thought, um, a really terrible film. Yeah. Um, it, it played very much like a comedy um and i think what nicholson needs as an actor is a director to kind of rein him in and when he was directing himself he didn't have that so um his his character of henry moon in going south was just kind of all over the place and you know and i'm gonna talk funny and i'm gonna make weird faces and you know just it just it didn't work at all. I don't think there should have been somebody there saying that's uh, a little too much. It's over the top there, and uh, he didn't have that when he was directing himself. Well, you, you you mentioned the glasses. I remember because I back back then I watched the Oscars every year, and every year from like seventy one to seventy five he was nominated, never won. There was, but he always went, and you, he always had he always had his shades on, and. In 75, when he wins for Cuckoo's Nest, he, he gets up and very dramatically takes his glasses off. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, was sort of, that was sort of like the iconic moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that might be, you know, Randall McMurphy might be the pinnacle of his acting. Um, you know, it, it's either that, for me, it's either that or Chinatown uh, or maybe The Last Detail. But those three films, um, for me, would be kind of the the triumvirate of, of the best Jack Nicholson work. Um, and they might throw carnal knowledge in there as well. But uh, that's that's more the writing and the directing, I think, than it is the acting. But it was always a great film. Christopher Fryer is the co-author, along with Robert Crane, of Jack Nicholson. The early years, Chris's short story, Hunting License, appears in Beyond, where the buses run, collection of short stories about the human condition and what can happen in those moments when life suddenly turns on a dime. Beyond, where the buses run, available in paperback and as an ebook through Oregon Greystone Press and Amazon.com. Christopher Fryer, this, is, this has been a fun conversation. I'm going to have to pick up a copy of the Bruce Dern book and, and talk to you about that one of these days. Oh, that'd be great. Look forward to it. We'll play more of our conversation with Randy West when we come back on TV Confidential. Who leaked the surprising news to Johnny Carson that Joan Rivers secretly signed with Fox? TV Inside Out is the new book full of true stories of Hollywood double-dealing and broken promises. Blackmail schemes, suicides, and murder plots. You never knew how many of your favorite performers cracked under the pressure. Why Betty White and B. Arthur went from friends to foes on the set of Golden Girls. 
What comedy star was carried away after suffering a nervous breakdown while on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show couch? Why employees, staff, and crews considered Red Skelton the all-time favorite citizen of Television City? Why the beloved captain of The Love Boat was ready to drive off a cliff along Mulholland Drive? TV Inside Out goes behind our screens and behind the scenes. TV Inside Out is the first book to so fully reveal the drama behind TV's dramatic series. The misery at the happiest sitcoms. The private whispers in talk show dressing rooms. And the games people play behind the scenes at your favorite game shows. The troubled souls and the bold-faced lies. More all-true, fully vetted, direct-from-the-sources stories than any other look behind the scenes ever. TV Inside Out. Guaranteed, you'll never watch TV the same way again. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tv confidential or at tv confidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button this portion of tv confidential is brought to us by our friends at front porch realty the community of realtors in the northern bay area of california that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in northern california call karen strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.